0: You're listening to the Board Game Snobs Podcast. You have chosen wisely. So today we interview Sean Eppleson from Think 12 Games. Let's just cut right into the interview. So yeah, let's, uh, w- w- what do you want to start off with? I was kind of interested in, in your, your previous uh, games that you've published.
1: Sure, yeah, we can talk about whatever you guys would like to talk about. I'm, yeah, I'm good for anything.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that. So just kind of give us a background.
1: Sure. So uh, do you just want me to just to jump into it? Yeah, or? just jump into it. Okay. Well, uh, Dice of Crowns was the first game that we published. Uh, we, The way that worked out is that the person that came up with the idea, Badger, uh, was a guy that worked with me. And I work in the software industry. And we gamed a lot uh, in the afternoons. And he came up to me, and he's like, hey, check out this game that I made. And he's got a 3D printer. So he printed up all these dice and tokens and whatnot. And for him, he has a lot of inspiration. when He does a lot of long-distance driving. So he had spent some time driving, I think, back from Portland. And it was just kind of like letting his mind run. And he came up with this idea based on kind of Game of Thrones, where people were you know, kind of backstabbing each other and fighting over contention for a crown. So we put this whole thing together, threw it together, and uh, brought it to uh, to lunch. And we played through it. And while it had some issues, uh, I really liked the core concept of what was going on, and I, I really saw that that spark of something really special to it. And we had already created a company to be able to start doing self-publishing. And I said, you know, hey, this this is a really cool game with a lot of promise. Um, I have a lot of different uh, art. Contacts, you know, really good artists and illustrators that I've worked with in the past. I'd love to be able to publish this, and you know, have you be a part of that? And and then uh, so he was a good friend of ours, so he's like, yeah, that sounds really cool. I just made it because it seemed fun. So we worked on it for a while, and you know, worked on polishing it up and and tweaking things and uh, playtesting it for for quite a while. I'm part of a group called Playtest Northwest uh, up here in Seattle, and uh, it's a consortium, if you will, of, uh, <laughs> of uh, indie designers and, and publishers. And it gives us a chance to hit all of the conventions that go on up here. There's a whole lot of them. Uh, there's at least, uh, I don't know, like a dozen or so in the Pacific Northwest. And so we get to go to most of the conventions and demo with different people. Playtest Northwest also gets us into local game stores so we can game there. And get a nice broad uh, spectrum of lots of different player types and ages and genders and, you know, whatever, just like a huge, you know, uh, spread of, of different player types. So uh, that was a good you know benefit for him to be able to have this like uh, assortment of people to be able to play the the game and identify it. Yeah, this is a game that's really fun. People really dig it. Uh, it worked really well with up to six players. So um, we put it into a, uh, a convention for uh gamers basically it was called uh the Evergreen Tabletop Expo. And I believe this was year two of the Evergreen Tabletop Expo. And they had a, a thing going called uh, the Lucy Awards. So designers would submit their games and they there was a group of people in the industry that would evaluate the games and then decide, you know, which of these were contenders for being able to win this contest. So we were part of the group that got narrowed down. Um, they then pared it down a little farther down to like I want to say like the top, the top eight. Uh, the top eight were invited to uh, ETX to be able to demo their game to everybody there, and then they had a. Uh, It got down to the top four from there, Uh, and the way they did the top four was the top four people, all the judges went around and and played all the games, and then they narrowed it down to the top four. And then the top four, uh, the judges did uh, individual interviews with everybody and asked them, you know, why did you do this, or "Did did you see a problem with this thing? Kind of grilled everybody, essentially. And while we didn't win the top award, what we did win was the People's Choice Award, which For someone that was getting ready to go into Kickstarter, like honestly, the people really dug it. Uh, It's a lighter game, so I can understand. You know, the judges that might be a little more into really heavy, crunchy games, not maybe liking this one just as much, but they still saw value in it. So, you know, like that was a win for me. And the designer was really happy with that as well. Uh, We went into Kickstarter and kind of killed it to be honest. Yeah. Uh it funded in 17 hours I believe, 17 18 hours and you know, we knocked out all the stretch goals and we were able to produce a uh, this dice game that was just really solidly built. Uh the production quality was really high. Everybody really enjoyed the the art and presentation of the game. Um so Let me explain a little bit about what Dice of Crowns is. Uh, It's a dice game with, you've got seven dice, you've got uh, these tokens that represent claims to the crown, and then you have tokens that represent fate. And then you have the crown, uh, an actual modeled piece that uh, is your your claim, your victory. And so everybody's fighting to become the ruler of the land. The king's dead, everybody feels like, well, I should be the ruler, right, It's, it's me. So in most dice games, like, say, zombie dice and things like that, really what you're doing is you're rolling your dice, and you're just you know figuring out your results, and eventually your turn ends, and then the next person takes their turn. The thing that's special about this game is you roll your dice, and then there's a certain die roll. Uh, it's a scroll face. When that shows up, you have to hand those dice out to other players, and then they get to roll. And the things that they roll can impact you in various ways. So for example, uh, there's four different icons in the game. There's a crown. Uh, crown is part of your your goal to success. There's a dagger. Daggers are bad. Daggers can end <laughs> your turn. Three of them end your turn. Uh, there's a skull, and skulls represent fate. Uh, five of those, you can get a claim to the crown, or you can use three of those to get a fate token, and uh, the scrolls get handed out now. Say you're rolling your dice and you get a couple of scrolls. You hand them to me, and then I roll. If I roll a scroll, it just goes back to you. you no, know, no harm, no foul. Uh, if it's a dagger, I can give it back to you, or I can give it to another player at the table. So if there's like, you know, maybe player number four is really kind of starting to run away with the game, like, no, screw that guy. I'm giving him a dagger. He can start his turn with a dagger it's going to let mean less dice for you potentially less dice for me but allows us to try and you know, pull that guy that's getting ahead back a little bit if it's a skull it comes back to you that could help you out and if it's a crown i get to keep it in order to advance my you know my win goal so uh, there's a lot of table talk that goes on. Once you hit the scrolls, you're like, "Oh crap! Who do I give these to?" And you have some people going, "Oh, give it to me, even me! You know, I'll, I won't send a dagger back to you. I'll send it to this guy instead." So there's a lot of like mini alliances that get built up, and then sudden inevitable betrayals as someone you know tries to go for a win. Um, for for a dice game, there's just a lot of table talk, which you really don't tend to get in those sort of games. No, you sure,
0: certainly don't see any type of negotiating dice games.
1: Yeah. So, and it was something that really uh, kind of stuck out as like unique and special and interesting, and being able to keep everybody engaged through the entire course of the game. Um, what and, what uh, made
0: you? What made you want to go through Kickstarter rather than trying to perhaps trying to get the game published through a regular uh, publisher?
1: Well, a, a couple of reasons actually. Um, one, being able to self-publish, uh, it's that's uh, a difficult thing to do. Uh, Typically, if you're just going to just straight up publish, you need to have I don't know 40, 50 thousand dollars to go in on a project. Uh, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, depending on what you're you're going to do. Um, that's a big chunk of change for someone to just come up, you know, come up with. Um, if we were to give it to someone else, we relinquish a lot of uh, control over the direction of the game, the the art style, the art direction. For us, we wanted to start growing ourselves as a publisher and we wanted to try and bring something interesting into the gaming space that maybe you don't see all the time. And as, a, as an indie publisher, you have a little more flexibility to be able to take risks like that, that I don't think that, you know, the bigger publishers can't really afford those kind of risks. You know, they, they have a certain uh, wheelhouse that they sort of have to like kind of pigeon themselves into and they can't deviate out far that really wildly um, where we want to, we do, we just want that freedom. Right. And so being smaller, like we can take risks. Um, I felt like this wasn't, you know, a huge risk, but I mean, it is something a little different. So um, yeah, I, I we wanted to do that as a, as a self-publishing thing.
0: And, and so in terms of like setting up, this is all, was this your, your first Kickstarter I understood? Yes, and so how did you how did you uh, negate all the logistics in, in terms of like finding someone that actually produces the game, uh, the the uh, setting up the Kickstarter, and, and just all the the bells and whistles that tend to take place whenever you're you're trying to make a product. Uh, did you already have contacts in that business, or that was just something you went out and did yourself?
1: Um, so we'd actually started well this was our first kickstarter as thing 12 games uh under thing 12 games for our account on kickstarter we'd done one previously called uh, dirty cops that was under my personal account um and it's one that we're eventually going to circle back around on but we had some uh, there was we had a few missteps with that one mostly from a production quality like we were Overproducing the game, uh, and that made the price a little higher, and so we ended up canceling the project. Uh, just it wasn't going to fund, so you know, like let's just cancel it, let's retool, and and talk to backers and get some get their input on stuff. Um, from how do how do we deal with the uh, logistics? I'm kind of lucky in the fact that it isn't just me as uh, as the the company. Uh, I partnered with a good friend of mine who's also a producer uh, in the software industry. And together, when we first started out, I was looking at Kickstarter and and backing a lot of games and watching what these people that were running successful Kickstarters, watching what they were doing from the creative angle. How were they really engaging their audience? Uh, What kind of things were they doing from the presentation standpoint? Uh, What were they doing as far as continuing to communicate with their backers, that sort of thing? And what were thinking, people doing wrong? You know, uh, Kickstarters that I had backed that, that ended up having to cancel. Okay, what kind of missteps were they making? What did I feel like they were kind of missing out on? And at the same time, my, my business partner was following Kickstarter, but he was following it from the financial side of things. He was looking at, okay, what kind of manufacturers are out there? Uh, what kind of charts? What kind of things do they charge for? Uh, how much do they charge versus you know the product? What about their turnaround times? All that sort of stuff. All the all the like actual like logistics of making a game. Um, that was less my interest, and that was more of his. So when we got to talking, that we were both looking at Kickstarter in these different ways, uh, like you know we'd be a really good fit together because I'm the front end, the what does it look like, engage with the audience, and you're kind of the back end, like the nuts and bolts engine part. Let's work together. And we and we did that. <laughs> we made the company think to all games. So, um, having uh, access to a lot of really creative people uh, from the look side of things. So, we worked with a good friend of ours, Chris Quistorf, who is the illustrator uh, for uh, Dice of Crown. So, he's the one that really helped put a lot of the visuals together on our Kickstarter page. He helped put together the video, he built that inside of Unity. Um, Really, really talented person with a really cool creative eye, and he was someone that I knew would be a great fit that if he wanted to work with us. And we talked to him about what our goals were and that sort of thing, and he was he was down with it. So uh, he's been working with us on all of our projects from the Kickstarter side of things as as an illustrator. Um, Darren Michaelson did the art for Dice of Crowns, and I I knew that Darren was a really strong artist. But he, he hadn't really done anything as far as like this angle. And I I wanted to give him an opportunity to kind of stretch himself as an artist and, and be able to, you know, kind of carry a, an artistic vision forward into a physical product. And that was something he was really excited about. One of the things that we do as, a, as an indie publisher is I, I give my guys a lot more freedom to have a say in what we're doing ultimately it's my call from the creative side and my financial partner's call from the financial side um, but we really let everybody that's involved in these projects have a voice have a say um, sometimes decisions can you know little uh, arguments can break out but we everybody knows that they're coming from a point of passion a point mm-hmm. of um, really wanting the product to be as, as good as possible And we've never had anything like, oh, I'm done with you or anything like that, you know, like huge breakups. But um, I I like being able to have everyone involved. It's not just the Sean show, you know, for example.
0: And so with your current game uh, that that you have out on Kickstarter right now, which I was just looking through here, is that the uh, Dice of Pirates? Is that just uh, is that how's that compared to Dice of Crowns?
1: Uh, it's a good question. So one of the questions we've had from people is, uh, is Dice of Pirates just a reskin of Dice of Crowns? That's a valid question. Um, the answer is no. Uh, we do, from my standpoint, from an, an artistic side of things, if you're just doing a reskin of your game, that's so creatively bankrupt and lazy. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, Bring something new and interesting to what you're, you're presenting to people. And um, we knew that there was, we were going to have an interesting uh, design box to work in. So people having coming into Dice of Pirates that had played Dice of Crowns before would have a certain expectation of certain elements to the game. And we identified those as the dice that get handed out to other players and then a rule of three. So in Dice of Crowns, if you get three crowns, you get a claim token, three claim tokens, you win. Uh, if you get three daggers, three daggers ends your turn. If you get three skulls, you get a fate token. So, you know, there's this rule three thing that works really well in the game. So, those are the two elements we knew we had to keep to some fashion. Um, Beyond that, we wanted the game to really feel like a piratey experience. So, Dice of Crowns feels more um, having to make alliances, having to backstab people, um, a lot more like kind of courtroom drama, if you will. Where Dice of Pirates, if you're going to be piratey, you got to go for the jugular. Uh, i think one of the one of the things we've we've said is dice of pirates is the dagger in your back dice or dice of crowns is the dagger in your back dice of pirates is the dagger in your face you see it <laughs> coming you know exactly who's going to do it um uh, so it had to be more about aggression you know like going for gold so one of the things that we did differently is that uh you are starting with a certain amount of gold and you're playing to reach a, a certain threshold um you can go and get gold from the sea uh, using your dice, or you can go and attack people and try and steal gold from them. So that was something really different that allowed people to have a, a unique experience inside this game, but still have some elements. Like uh, if you roll a ship, well, a ship's kind of like a scroll. You have to send it out to another player. And then they get to roll, and what they roll can impact the game. So we had some elements that, that were similar, but some that were unique and different.
0: And so, with that, um, of course, with any type of of game design, you, you're yourself being a, a publisher. What do you look for if a, a designer brings you a game in, in terms of something that you would be interested in publishing?
1: You sort of have you have to know what your your company's wheelhouse of of interest is to a, a point, right? Like uh for me, the games that we we're, we're publishing, I want there to be an element of interactivity between players. Um, I'm less interested about games that are just sort of solitaire um, there has to be if we're getting together to play a game, let's play something that allows us to interact with each other. So a lot of our games that we're working on, including the ones that are like you know out for like next year and things like that, have some element where players are interacting with each other in some fashion. Um, So if someone brings me a game, that's something I look for. Like what's a way that I can interact with people? And if it's not there, then, and I'm, and I am interested in the game. I see that, you know, that it's fun. There's something interesting and new to this game. It's not just a repeat of a rehash of something else. Mm -hmm. Then is there a way that, You could interject that and make the game a little more interesting, a little more um, involving people rather than just having lots of downtime between turns. Right.
0: And so you mentioned the things that you have in the pipeline for next year. Is there anything that coming out that you're particularly excited about?
1: Uh, There's a (laughs) man. It's it's daunting the amount of games that we're we're looking at for next year. It's kind of crazy. there are two in particular that we're working on. Um, one is called, well, currently called, uh, Battle for Arkham, and this is a two-player game with a super tight economy, uh, a an investigator versus uh, a um, person working for Cthulhu, right? So it's a Cthulhu-themed game, and you have six cards in your hand. You're going to be playing five of them. Uh, both players have the same cards, but they have slight differences in their in their victory point value and their currency value. And so it, it's this game where you play a card face down and you put out a bid for it and both players get to bid on that card. Uh, whoever wins the bid gets the card. The other person gets the currency. So there's this really uh, tight push-pull, back-and-forth element of being able to manipulate other people's cards, being able to influence bidding. Um, I've played this with people, and people that are less, more into, uh, you know, kind of random dice games or, you know, lighter games, they're like, this is really kind of weighty and and thanky, more so than you would expect from a game with 12 cards that you're playing, right? It's it's super light. Um, so we've got a really cool artist that's working on this game. Um, I'm really excited to where we're going to take this from a production standpoint. Uh, being able to have a, a limited number of assets in the game is going to allow us to really increase the quality and and the value of, of what the game looks like and, and feels like. So that's what I'm super excited. That's going to be an early one for next year. Uh there's another game that we're working on. It's a more family oriented uh game uh built by a a young child who's a uh, the child of a designer friend of ours who's done some really cool stuff with uh, Daily Magic and despite being a game that was built by a, a child the game is really interesting and has some some interesting choices to make uh that and again it has an element where you can You can uh, mess with other players at the table uh, in a way that's not unfair or anything like that. Um, I I like the the story, the idea of that. This was a family game built by a kid that's interesting enough for adults to play. And we've played it with just straight-up adults at several conventions, and people really dug it and really enjoyed it. Uh, The artist we have working on this is just doing this fantastically, really cute art. Um, But We're also adding this element of educational value to the cards so it's a dinosaur themed game and each of the dinosaurs has some you know some factoid about what the dinosaur you know did or or something like that so it's a family game that has some educational elements that allows people to interact together that seems cool
0: oh yeah and dinosaurs are a big thing Yeah, (laughs) that's always something that, and again, with all the various themes that we see coming out of board gaming, it's very easy for for people to get kind of caught up in the same things over and over, Uh, but but the more that you've seen, even even today with some of the bigger box board games, people are taking uh, themes that we have seen before in the past and redoing them and putting different mechanics on them, and they're certainly, they're bringing old themes back to life. Yeah. I mean everybody's always knocking the Cthulhu thing since it's kind of a public domain but again how many how many good games are out there that have that theme uh there's always someone that comes along and puts some interesting mechanics to it and and spices things up a little bit,
1: yeah, and I think there's a thing like again if you're If you're bringing something new, something interesting, something different to what's going on, I I think that's something really cool. Uh, The artist that I have that's working on the cards for us, he was actually unaware of the whole Cthulhu mythos. Uh, It was just something that had fallen, like this was outside of his his, uh, spectrum of of influence, I guess. Uh, But the things that he's worked on as far as like some of the artistic things he's done, they're really in line with that so i started showing him these things he's like oh my god what is this this is crazy so i i love the idea that i could take someone that had never seen cthulhu type stuff and, and i'm giving him just textual uh examples of what these might be and then letting him race with these with his own uh, really unique vision of what Cthulhu creatures and Cthulhu elements can look like because I didn't want to do just what everybody else is doing right and so he's going to have a really fresh take on it because he's never seen this stuff before so that's really interesting
0: right and uh go, going back to kind of the design of, of games and this you yourself no doubt being a project manager and having to deal with this and and seeing a lot of games get designed from the ground up. What what is the design process that you generally witness? Do people start with the theme, or do they start with the mechanics?
1: There's lots of different ways that that people start. Myself, uh, when I design games, (laughs) because I decided to be crazy enough to do the the publishing side and uh, sometimes design side as well, Uh, I approach design typically from a thematic place first. Like there's some sort of theme uh, that that drives me to, to do a game. Like, huh, that's a really cool thing. I haven't really seen anything like that before. Or, oh, that's a neat idea. If I married that with a really interesting mechanic, that could be really cool. Um, Badger, on the other hand, uh, the designer of Dice of Crowns and Dice of Pirates, he designs more from a mechanic standpoint, so he comes up with some sort of some engine or some sort of uh, mechanical way of of things or how things are built, and that is really interesting for him, and then he kind of like works on honing that down. Um, I, I think there's some other people that that come at it from more of a, a story based approach or you know just the idea of maybe like a name of a game and then they kind of build from there so there's lots of different ways that, that people can come up with their their concepts this,
0: this badger guy seems like he's halfway way violent <laughs> yeah, it's just just, just uh, th- between badger and uh, this consortium of playtest northwest I'm not sure you're not in a cult rather than a design <laughs> so just get out while you can uh, but to, in, interestingly enough, I, I myself enjoy, I, I I like Euro games, but I do understand a lot, a lot of the Euro, Euro games here tend to be like a solitary experience. I, I, my favorite games are always something that is uh, law of negotiation, law, a lot of aggression. My favorite game is the Game of Thrones. Uh, nice. I, I love, love having something where I can somewhat mess with somebody. And I, I'm thinking that that has, that is... We're seeing more and more games. It seems like where people are are focusing more on the player interaction rather than just having a solitary experience. And even even you see that in a lot of the party games or the lighter games. So it's nice to see that somebody has taken a dice game and made it uh, made it into where it's it's not just chunking dice and seeing what randomly comes up, but really something that requires some negotiating and some uh, some aggression. We're, we're all about getting that aggression out.
1: Exactly. And you do it in a, in a fun, safe place that, you know, there's, you, you know, nobody's really out to, to ruin your day. It's like, oh, let's, let's have some fun in this, you know, make believe world and, and screw each other over and stab each other in the back and then, you know, I have a lot of laughs doing so. Uh, no, no,
0: I, I really am out to, to ruin people. I'm filled, <laughs> filled, filled with hate. And I, I suspect that Badger is too. Um, so, so bless his heart. We're kindred souls uh, filled with hate and, and wanting to, to wreck other people's day. <laughs> and so uh, that's that's always something nice, and, and so very exciting to hear about about your upcoming project. I see P- uh, Dice of Pirates, uh, no doubt. And is this coming to retail after the Kickstarter? Is that a common thing with a lot of your games?
1: Yes, uh, we we identified that we don't want to just we don't want to just be a Kickstarter only company. That there's an importance to be having your game inside of a local game store. Not just from the fact that you know we want it out there, but we actually want to support the local game stores as well. Um, there's a lot of really cool like board game cafes that have been popping up uh, around in our area for for sure in the Seattle area. There's a lot of are growing up. And it's really cool because it's places that you can go and, you know, hang out and have a beer or, or get some food and play some games and really have a really fun experience. And you see kind of that going on around you. Uh, sometimes you can meet up with different people. There's lots of meetups where people meet at, you know, local game stores. So having our game in these places that's available was, kind of, was just important for us to keep pushing the, the hobby and the industry forward. Yeah, and
0: that's true, man. And I think people who don't, ha- who I think people who have, uh, board game shops in their locations, kind of taken for granted. Here in my neck of the woods, we don't have any local game stores at all. I mean, it is it is a oh wow yeah it is it is a particularly, um, rural area, and just uh, most of the people in this area don't are are not in the board games. You have to go out and find people and and try to convince them and and hopefully not scare them away, uh, by, you know, introducing them into the hobby. And so because of that, I think any area where you have a board game shop, people in the area will, the locals will happen in and, uh, at least get some taste of what it's like. And so it's not a it's not something that's completely out of the right field. When I tell people at work that I play board games, they kind of look at you weird. You know, they do the whole Monopoly thing and then and then wonder what you do. You know, I I think my wife just started telling people that I've got a meth lab and that's how I spend all my time rather than actually. You know, w- w- where's your husband? You know, and, oh yeah, he's out he's out playing board games. That doesn't sound uh, too interesting in our neck of the woods. But uh, anyways, it might be different up there in the the cloudy town of Seattle.
1: Yeah, there's a, a lot of, I mean, I think the rain alone is enough to, like, kind of drive people in. And, you know, it's a reason for us to ha- hang out inside somewhere and, and do some gaming. But this is kind of a, a nerd-heavy-centric <laughs> area where everybody's very, you know, geeky around here. It's it's a heavy software industry that's in the Seattle area. Uh, so there's a lot of people that are just interested in that. And I think that's why we've seen so many, uh, so many different gaming related or or geeky related conventions popping up in this area they said that every couple of months there's at least a uh, one to two conventions that i could be going to for different things so it's it's pretty cool it's a little exhausting but it's it's a lot of fun though
0: right uh you not know happen to be attending the uh, board game geek convention uh down here in dallas here next month are you
1: Sadly, no. I'm so disappointed. Um, there is one that I'm going to get to go to that is a little farther over on the other side. I'm uh, hoping, fingers crossed. There's a couple things that need to happen, but I'll be going to PAX Unplugged. Mm-hmm. So that's one I'm I'm hoping to get to. There are some people I'm going to be working with uh, that are they're doing this this system that basically teaches you how to play a game and and gives you rules, called the rules, uh, over the Alexa system. So if you have Alexa, you can say, hey Alexa, teach me how to play Dice of Crowns, and she'll walk you through the process. Or if you had a question about, hey Alexa, what do the daggers mean in Dice of Crowns, and she'll uh, pop up and tell you about the daggers.
0: Mm, That's an interesting concept. Uh, and and I, could, I could not imagine the logistics of trying to have some sort of software that, that's that versatile and being able to teach a game. I've seen, I've seen seen Kickstarters and things of that nature for people coming up with, with that same software, trying to teach something, trying to put Rodney Smith out of business, no doubt,
1: <laughs>
0: uh, which they'll never put him out of business. He's Canadian right Uh, yeah he's he's too friendly i i got to meet him well i didn't get to meet him i i I stood behind him at a at a convention uh, the board game geek convention last year he is really very nice and he smells really good and i don't know why that is (laughs) he i was i was standing in line trying to get a get a cappuccino down down there and i didn't want to i didn't want to just just you know some random person come up to you and start saying hey i watch you on the internet that just sounds weird and so i wasn't i was trying to play it cool but uh He's super friendly. He's a super friendly guy.
1: Yeah, he sure seems like it. I mean, and again, being Canadian, of course, he's friendly. I mean, who who isn't from from Canada?
0: Well, see, we're down here in we're down here in Te- Texas, so we don't see Canadians. They're like a they're like a unicorn to us. And we we can anybody who's who's north, anybody who's north of Kansas, we can spot them a mile away. And 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 poor Rodney stood out like a sore thumb. And you could you knew he was not from around. But uh, he was a he was a particularly friendly guy. And. uh, Right. but <laughs> right. Well, that's uh, before, before we get off here, just to kind of give an idea, we always hit some people up about their, their favorite board game. Uh, of course it can't be one of your own or one that's published. Yeah. Yeah. You can't plug that. What, what, what is your favorite one?
1: Uh, wow. Uh, f- I'm going to say The Others by Eric Lang and Cool Media or Not. Uh, that was a Kickstarter that I went all in on, and I got all the extras and all the extra sins and all that. It's a it's a one-versus-many game where a player takes on the role of one of the seven sins, and they play through a story where the other players are these heroes. Sometimes they look like you know monstrous-looking heroes, but they're heroes nonetheless, and they have some sort of sin that's against them some element of kind of a downside and it's basically can you defeat the uh, the sins and and save the world from corruption or will the the sin player defeat all the heroes and and reign supreme it's a really interesting game for being a one versus many uh the sin player constantly feels behind the eight ball like oh man the heroes are just constantly like they're just so close to overpowering me and the heroes feel like oh my god the sim player is just wrecking our house and is making it so tough so neither player really feels like they're they're going to just win outright which I, I think that's a great uh, selling point of a one versus many like it's a real challenge um, and I love the, the theme to this it's so really dark and, and gritty and, and scary and horrific it's a really good
0: we've got like a running joke about our or Eric Lang said so yeah, the, the, the cult of Eric Lang, everybody loves anything <laughs> that Eric Lang brings out. And we, in our, our group, we're always making fun of Eric Lang. Oh, well this year, he released the Godfather and it was like, you know, who's going to get that? And I was like, I'm not, it's Eric Lang. You know how I feel about Eric Lang. I'm not big on <laughs> Eric Lang and Godfather Godfather so far has been my most played game of the year. Um, just, just cannot get enough of it. And I know it's just, so it's, it's just a simple, you know, kind of worker placement and thing. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's exactly what I imagined it would be. I just didn't think I would like it as much as I do, as I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I've, I've had to cool down about bashing Eric Lang. And so <laughs> I've, I've, I've kind of, you know, that's taking the wind out of my sails is making fun of Eric Lang. Cause anytime, well, I'm always saying I'll just throw some minis in it. This, this, throw some minis in a box and 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 some dice, and there, that's an Eric Lang game. He can he can <laughs> and 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 give him a hard time. But uh, now, again, I, I, again, I got to meet Eric Lang very briefly last year, demoing a Rising Sun there uh-huh. with with the Dice Tower people, and of course they were all gathered around, and he was they were playing it, and they were watching. Tom Vassell and Z Garcia were there and they were just kind of all standing around. And I thought, yeah, this is it. This is this is the cult of Eric Lang. Just (laughs) having have their minis. uh,
1: He was at at, uh, PAX West, uh, not this year, but last year. And he was there for a video game. He'd done some design work for this company. And so he was uh, over in this one like board game area. And it was funny because since PAX is primarily a video game uh, focused convention, and uh, the board gaming section is off in this other other building, um, I, I came by. And I'm like, well, there's there's no one there to like say hi to him or or you know hang out and talk to him. I'm like, I'm going to take that chance. <laughs> so I went up and I talked to him for quite a while. And super super nice guy. Yeah. Like just super cool. Um, he, so. To counter your point about like throw minis and dice into a box, have you ever played Dolores?
0: Oh, HMS Dolores. I, the, the HMS Dolores. I've been wanting to play that. Now, that's the one where you have the cards and you have to either, you know, you, not like rock, paper, scissor, but throw out a hand signal, whether you're in agreement to split the loot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been wanting to play that because that looks mean. And I could that's another one. I could not believe he designed that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm often going through and I'm nosy about what designers are are out, and I kind of keep track of who, which designer I, I particularly enjoy, and what games they keep putting out that I, I consistently like. And I do the I do the reverse of that. Somebody I don't like, I am always watching to see if they have just got that one game that I tend to enjoy. And I, I noticed that that HMS Dolores, and and again, that's a very small box game for what it is. <laughs>
1: yeah it really is. I mean, and the cards are you know pretty compact and small. Uh, that's one that I, that I picked up and we've played with in our group. and it's a lot of fun. It definitely is has mean elements where you can really screw someone over uh, in the actions that you're taking, but it's really tough for scoring because you don't get to score all the cards that you get. You only uh, I think you score like the top the ones that you have the most of and the ones that you have the least of. And everything else in the middle, you don't get to score at all. So it's, it's really tricky. Uh, one small
0: box game that's similar to that, that well, I say it's similar. It's, it's probably not mechanically, but uh, it, our go-to game, it tends to be Skull. I have no clue who designed Skull, as many games of that as I've played. Uh, <laughs> very colorful, sounds just like what it is. Uh, pictures of skulls and roses, basically on coasters uh and just the simplicity of the game itself how easy it is to teach and engages a large group of people uh, that's always something that i find that's that's always a winner to always have a few games that if you if you find somebody that you can try to bring into the hobby start off with something light and try to get them in, interacting with the group and kind of bring them into the fold into the cult of, <laughs> uh, yeah of eric lang which apparently he is a genius Apparently when it comes to design, <laughs> I I have to give him that. He he is he is certainly year after year he has tend to, to he, he seems like he always brings his A game. Him and Martin Wallace.
1: Yeah, Martin's a really interesting designer as well. There there's a lot of like people that are starting to really big make a really big name for themselves, you know, Bruno Cathala and and uh Jimmy Stegmeier and like all those guys. Uh they're making a name, I think, simply because they, they make solid games that are that are really fun. Uh, I've seen Skull around, but I haven't had the chance to to play it. I mean, it looked really interesting. So it sounds like I'm gonna have to to pick that one up.
0: It's particularly simplistic, but it it is it is a it, it's it's a drinking game, is what I call. There are certain games that I have to play. I cannot be. I, I, I I'm a lightweight. If I drink two beers, I'm liable to I'm liable to lose my senses and not be able to make <laughs> wise decisions in a board game. But there are some games that just require this level of of just identifying if somebody is bluffing or not. And that's all Skull is. It's just a big bluffing game of being able to tell what the other person's doing. And that's, that's, that's right up most people's alleys. Nice. But, uh, but it's, it's overall. Well, Sean, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Thank you for, for letting us interview you. Uh, We're certainly looking forward here to seeing the success of Dice of Pirates and your upcoming uh, games coming out. And, uh, like I said, uh, your, your Dice of Pirates right now is uh, recording this. you still got 15 days to go, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. we're going up until the public calendar here. I'm going up until the 23rd. So the 21st and 22nd, there's a convention down in uh, eastern Washington, uh, Central City Comic Con, that we're going to be at. So I wanted that to be the, the final, final huzzah uh, yeah. for doing uh, you know, some playtests with people. So that's be pretty cool. Oh, good deal.
0: Well, I certainly do appreciate your time, Sean, and uh, we thank you for letting you interview us. Or, oh, thanks. And for you, <laughs> tell, tell Badger hi for me. I will, sir. Is, Thank is you so much his, for having me. On. <laughs> is that is 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 that his, where does he get that name? Badgers? Do you have a lot of those up there in Seattle? Uh,
1: he got it. It's more of a of a nickname that uh, he got because his first name is Brander, but nobody was able to say Brander. They would either say Brandon or you know some other variation. And he really likes badgers and. That was like one of his his icons for his you know profile images for quite a while, and so it sort of stuck that he was like just go and call me Badger, and it was sort of a running joke, and then it sort of took off and became uh, had a life of its own, and now everybody just calls him Badger. He likes <laughs> badgers. Oh yeah,
0: that's very odd. That's not that's <laughs> not that's not generally your the animal that most people would pick is a badger.
1: He's it's very fitting for him. Huh. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Anytime you would like to have me back on, I'd love to be on. All righty. We'll get in touch with you. Appreciate you. Take care, sir. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy.